and uh, got to have a lot to go through. It's, it's the armor of God, and I know you guys have been through it, and it's a really good passage. Um, a lot of times in Sunday school, we'll hit it, or we have that poster on our wall with all the diagram of the, the soldier sitting there with all of his stuff, but I don't know, as I was going through it, I was like, Lord, well, you know, every time that I go through this, I think it's a cool analogy, and, and uh, I really want you to teach me, and I really want to see, like, how does this really apply to me? Like, you know, these, these things that you tell me I have, and this, you associate it with this armor and this soldier, but I want to really want to take it serious, and I want to see every day, how do I live with this, and, and what, how do I apply this to my life? And so it was neat. It was a good study. And so I really hope tonight that, you know, he'll just speak to you guys as you're going through tough times, you're having the enemy attack you, and that's really what it's focused on is the enemy, which is very rare in the scriptures that it does talk about that. I mean, most of the time it's talking about the world and the flesh, because it seems like those are usually the things that will take us away and and, uh, mess with us, but the enemy's another one of those, you know, and so... It's one of those times where we look at the enemy and see what he's all about and uh, look at other scriptures and get to understand our enemy more and, um, you know, go into it with what God's given us and be able to do that battle and take it very serious that each day there is something that's going to happen and there's a spiritual warfare that's going on. So um, we'll be starting off in verse 10 in uh, chapter 6 of Ephesians and we'll go through the rest of the chapter, but... First of all, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that book, Art of War. It's by a guy that was, he wrote it clear back in 1080 BC. I mean, this book's been around for a long time. And Eastern uh, countries use this book to this day as part of their uh, looking at how to do warfare. The Chinese are really into it. It was written by a Chinese man named Sun Tzu. And the name of the book, the real name is Master Sun's Rules of Warfare. And it's actually a book that even us Westerners have taken and used in, in business is one of the places. It's been used even by football coaches and how to, how to work with the enemy and defeat the enemy. But one of the things is that, um, that comes from this book and, and what is said in it is, is talking about knowing the enemy and knowing what they're all about. And so one of the quotes from it is, so it, it is said that if you know your enemies and you know yourself, you will not be put at risk even if you have a hundred battles. If you only know yourself but not your opponent, you may win or may lose. If you know neither yourself nor your enemy, you will always endanger yourself. And it's an interesting thing when you look at it and you apply that to the warfare that we have in this world and with the enemy, and you look at it, and knowing ourselves, it's not, you know, this is a worldly point of view, so it's, it's getting enlightened, and it's more of that Eastern uh, religion and getting to that, but when we know ourselves and what we are in Jesus Christ, that's such an important part. I mean, that's what all of Ephesians has been talking about so far, knowing who we are in Jesus, and then this last part, it's knowing our enemy, and there's actually one verse there that just uncovers a ton of stuff, gives us a lot of information about who our enemy is. And so you look at that, and it's like, yeah, that's definitely, I can see that in my life. You know, if I know myself, I know who I'm in Christ, but I don't know my opponent, you may win or lose. And it's because you don't know the attacks. You might think, well, this is coming from a different way or, or, or a different source, or it's, you know, we try to blame it on other things when these items that he gives us for defending ourselves and even the offensive side with the, the sword, those are things that he wants us to know and to be sure in, just as a soldier would be as they go into battle. They've practiced with these things. They know how they move in them. They know all that stuff. And I think a lot of times we don't even understand. We don't know how we move in this stuff. We don't really know how to use our sword, you know, when it comes down to it. So 
Just as we go through it, look at that. Look at, you know, how do we know our enemy? What have we been given to defeat him? Where's the power? Where's the source? What's our, our, our uh, um, command? You know, what are we supposed to be leaving this with? And how are we supposed to act out as soldiers? So as we go into it, that's what we're going to be studying. So let's go ahead and read just the first few verses. It says in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And Lord, that is what we want to do. We want to stand and you've given us the equipment to be able to do that. And, you know, we look for that power, like what it says there, and just being strong in you and, and being strong in your power and in your might, Lord. I just praise you and thank you so much for what you've given us. You know, as you detailed out in Ephesians of what we are in you and then what we act like, you know, going last week through that, uh, what it looks like to have you in our homes. And Lord, I pray that we would be enlightened by you, that we would understand what you're talking about and and. Take it very serious with putting on that armor. I've heard you know, men say that they put on the armor every morning and they pray through it. And Lord, I don't know how it's done exactly. I mean, you're still teaching me through this. But Lord, I ask you just teach us tonight on what it is to put your armor on. And the things you've given us to understand, bring understanding to us. Lord, that we can walk in your ways. Um, that we can defeat the evil one. And like it says in your word, just to be able to stand. And when it's all done, we stand. And so Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your plan in our lives, Lord. Just teach us through your word tonight. Amen. All right. So knowing that first part, knowing ourselves would be understanding who we are in Christ. So being strong in verse 10, being strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Right away, it's talking about where, we, where our source is going to come from. This is not our power. This is not going to be our might. And that's not what it's talking about. It's not getting all these, these things and rushing into battle because, hey, I got this armor and I have this sword. Now I'm ready to go. You know, we even see with David, Saul's trying to get him to do that. Saul's like, here, take this, like, you know, and the king's armor is the best armor they make. Here, take the best and go fight that guy out there. David kind of puts it on. He's like, yeah, this isn't going to work. <laughs> this does not work. I'm just going to have to go out there in the power of God and in his might. And that's what David ended up doing. And so it's awesome that David, he shows us that that's where the source comes from. That's what you have to go to. It's not going to matter about the exterior or those things that you're going to try to prepare yourselves in and getting ready for. It's got to go front to God. That's where we have to go to. And that's when, the, when he says that in the very first part of this verse, he says, finally, because he's replying to everything that we've already learned. Okay? And now he's like, okay, finally, I want to tell you guys this part. Finally, I want to tell you about who you're fighting and what I've given you to fight with. And so as he encourages the church in Ephesus, then he says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God. And that is an important part, isn't it? Putting on that full armor. And here's one of the things where I think that I know for sure in my life, and I don't know in yours, but slacked in putting the full armor on. It's like we get these different ones down, we're sure in the faith, we're sure in the salvation, but the truth is kind of, we don't really want to gird ourselves with that. And you need to understand that girding is like that, that belt. That's kind of what holds everything together. And you've seen in any man's life that's lived a lie, it falls apart. It does. And so there's certain parts of the armor that, yeah, hey, we're good, we're comfortable with that thing. But you know what? We fight an enemy 
that he knows the weak spots. I mean, when back in the warfare, when they actually had the hand-to-hand combat, they would study each other's armor. They would look for those places that they could get an arrow in there or that they could get their knife in there or even a little dagger. Sometimes they'd fight with the two. And you guys know with fencing, they figured out that, hey, we can get through the chain metal and stuff. If we narrow down our swords where they're really flimsy, you can stick it right in there. And so they would study their enemy's armor so that they could pierce them and they could kill them, they could destroy them. And guess what? We have an enemy that's been around a lot longer than we have. (laughs) And he knows when we haven't put something on, there's a weakness there. There's where he can get a jab in. And so that's why, and he says it twice, he says, put on the whole armor of God. Don't just slack off and get, you know, hey, I'm good with this. I'm I'm all right with what I've already done. I'm not really going to push myself to understand the next piece or get familiar with that next piece. I'm just going to stick around here and this is good for me. Going out and putting you know, shoes on so I go share the gospel of peace, not really there yet. I definitely, the helmet of salvation is good, you know. I don't have to bend over and lace anything over, just plop it right on there. It's an easy one. <laughs> and so you find yourselves like, okay, yeah, I'm slacking on some of these things. And Lord, I really, I want you to make sure that I have this stuff. Teach me, show me how to use it and what I'm supposed to be applying in my life when, when I go through this and looking at the whole armor to make sure that I put it on, because it says that you may be able, and it says that's the key thing, is that to put the whole armor of God, it's one, he wants us to do that so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, so that we can stand against those schemings, is another word for it. And just what the, the, the devil is, is concocted in is evil ways on how he can pull us away. And so having that whole armor is going to prevent us from falling, prevent us being taken away, and we're going to be able to stand strong. I mean, how many times have you guys prayed, Lord, just help me stand against this. Help me in this problem. I want to conquer. I want to do this. Right here, guys, this is what he's given you as an answer for that. You ask for it. Here it is. He says, so that you will stand against them. Here's the armor that you need. And so, I just want to make sure I got my notes because I've been skipping a lot of it lately. <laughs> so, in, in that second part right there, when it talks about those wiles of the devil and those schemings of the devil. So, we put on that whole armor, and now we need to know who the enemy is. That's what it comes down to. Because when we start going out there in battle, you really want to know who you're going up against. To falsely go up there, I mean, you can have no idea what weapons they have or, or how they've done things. There's, you guys even know within sports, they'll study another team, Right? They'll go over and over the films to study that other team to figure out their secret plays that they do so that they'll have some kind of a defense to counter that. Or they'll have you know, the offense to get past their defense. And you can see it all in the sports. I mean, it's kind of like a little battle going on, right? Well, that happens within this warfare that we have. Is so that you need to know your enemy. You need to know where it's going, what's going on. And so in verse 12, what happens is he really opens up who the enemy is to us. And when I first went through this, I was like, okay, you know, I see some stuff in there, but then you start breaking it down in verse 12 and you start looking at each part of it and it really opens up who our enemy is. So let's study verse 12. So it says, For do not, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So that first part, we do not wrestle. That's saying we're going to get pretty close. That's not going to be a lobbing, you know, grenades over there and, and, and trying to get that enemy. The wrestling is actually hand-to-hand. It's going to be very personal. It's going to be right in your face. It's going to be uncomfortable. I don't know if you guys have wrestled. It's uncomfortable. 
<laughs> Especially when you had to put the little skivvy scoot on. <laughs> That's when I said no. <laughs> I said, give me a t-shirt and shorts and I'll still wrestle. But they're like, no, you got to wear this. I'm out. <laughs> it's uncomfortable, <laughs> right? <laughs> so when it says that we're, we don't wrestle against that, well, it means we're wrestling, but we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. So obviously we can take from that that we're not going to be fighting against humans. That's not where our battle is. And that's what he wants to draw, and that point is saying it's not flesh and blood. So if you guys see things that are going on, be praying about it. Go find that power and that might in the Lord to be able to conquer and pray about what's going on behind the scene because everybody that is not with Christ is just a tool of Satan. He's the ruler of this world. They're tools for him. And so you can't make it personal with the person. That's what he's talking about. You cannot make it personal. Although that is easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, when it comes to family, yeah, it's very personal. <laughs> there's nothing behind that. Well, maybe there's a couple of demons, but <laughs> I can't say that to them. <laughs> right? But we have to really pay attention to what's going on there. You, you can look at the example with Paul and, and getting stirred up there and, and uh, you know, almost getting thrown into that whole mob and, and from uh, Demetrius and, and those guys stirring up every, all the crowd. That wasn't because of that guy. That was because the enemy and his little workers were behind that whole deal, trying to disturb and not let the gospel spread. And you see it over and over again in Paul's experience when he goes into different towns, and even the Jews coming back over, you know, from another town to try to stir things up. It wasn't a wrestling or it wasn't a, a battle against flesh and flesh and blood. It was a spiritual battle that was happening there. And it becomes so much easier to be able to go through it when you start having that perspective on it. Now, I'm not saying it's completely like you're done and over. Like, yeah, you've conquered and now you, you've arrived and now you can ever, you know, every time you have conflict, it's super easy because you know something else is behind it. It's still, it's so hard to separate it and be like, you know what, there's something else going behind them. I really need to realize that they're just a tool. I need to pray for them. I need to look at this, you know, what the things that I need here. How is Satan attacking right now? What is he trying to get at me? Is he trying to ruin my witness in front of these people right now? Because I know a lot of you guys have walked away from families that were just nuts still to this day are just into the things you used to be into. You know, the way that you used to go. And they just want you to fall. <laughs> they want you to fall because then they can say, see, you can't do it. My sin's okay. I'm going to keep going the way that I'm going. And so the enemy wants that. And so he'll use them. He'll use them just to pierce you. He'll do things to, him, to you. I remember I had this guy, Shelly. <laughs> <laughs> So I had this guy when I was uh, 19 years old. I was living by myself in Durango, and I had this boss. And he decided that he was going to make me fall. So um, he didn't like what I represented or any of that. I didn't cuss on the job or anything. I didn't look at the pornos with the guys. So he did everything he possibly could to get me to do those things. To the point where he was having me run conduit, which I was good at in places they weren't supposed to go, to come back and cuss me out and tell me how horrible of a person I am because I was an idiot and ran the conduit that way and he didn't say to do it that way, when I know he did. And then I watched him one time. I caught him going off and laughing with the other journeymen off in the corner as I was very frustrated. I still threw stuff. But later on, after about two years, I found him in the mall and I said, Eddie, why in the world did you not fire me? Because I saw you fire at least six other guys that came through there. And he says, well, you're a really good worker. I tell you to do something, you do it. I'm like, okay, but I don't get this, man. You were cussing me out all the time, and you were making my life horrible. He goes, I just wanted to see you cuss. I just wanted you to cuss. 
<laughs> you, did, you wasted that much money just to try to get me to cuss. And the whole thing was, is he wanted that testimony to be ruined. I, the enemy was there just playing, and he wanted that testimony, that light, not to shine in that place. Because, you know what, there wasn't any other light shining in that place. And so you really have to look, what's going on behind the scenes? Just stop and look at it. What am I wrestling against right now? It's definitely not flesh and blood because the Word of God says it's not. And so then we start praying, Lord, expose what's behind that person. Expose what's going on there and help me to bring the truth, to bring this whole armor into this situation to be able to conquer for you, to be able to get the enemy to flee. And that's when we have to stop, and it is so hard to do. (laughs) This is not an easy thing at all, is it? But it's one of those things that God's asking us, you know, just stop there. So that's the first thing, is that we wrestle. Second is that it's not against flesh and blood. And then the third one, it says, but against principalities. And now here's what it tells us we're against. We're against principalities. And that principalities, is a, it's, a, it's a term for a ruler over a state, is, is what that would have been. So it's talking about these principalities, these rulers, or, or Satan ruling over this, this little army that he's got going on. So it's what we're warring against is this other army which is kind of gets scary because it's something we can't really see. And I don't know if you guys have had experiences. I know some of you guys have, and I've talked with you about it, of, of experiencing demons, getting to see them, and, and, and have, even having interactions and horrible things happen. Or, you know, it's one of those things your, your, your hair starts standing on the back of your neck because it's so foreign, but it's so real. I mean, there's, there's so many neat stories about God conquering. And, and um, I mean, even down in Mexico, one of the, the guards was watching this schoolhouse. And uh, if you guys get freaked about this stuff, you can leave the room. But <laughs> he's guarding this school. There's going to be a Christian school there, and it wasn't done yet. It's kind of like a U-shaped place. And uh, he saw what was like a black plastic flag floating in the wind, kind of just stirring. And all of a sudden, it got behind a car. It stood up and looked at him. And so he freaked. The guy just freaked out. So he ran into the building and ran out back, and they have like these little porches that aren't finished. And there's this ditch in the back back there and here it comes again rolling down that thing and then stands and just stares at him and he was like it just was so evil like you just feel it it just nasty anyways that's all that happened but what they figured is they've been praying over this place they had a lot of opposition they were wanting to get shut down from a lot of people and they figured that this thing was trying to get in there and we know that there's this warring that happens and he just wanted access into that but god was guarding that place and there's just so many neat stories. I mean, I could tell you guys just the awesome things that God's protecting, even properties where kids are at, and, and, and you know, just the evil staying out of it. There is a real deal that's happening. It's real out there. And it's unfortunate that in America, we don't get to see it as much as you would in other countries where they, they, they purposely invite it into their homes. They purposely want those spirits to come in and cleanse or, or give them offerings so that they don't cause sickness on their homes. And you do get to see a lot of it. And here, it's kind of a deception. You know, it's one of those enemies that, hey, if you don't think I'm here, and that was from this book as well, that they want the, the Japanese, how they did is that when they were far from you, they wanted you to feel that they were near. And when they were near, they wanted you to feel that you were far, they were far. So you had no idea where the enemy was, and that was a tactic. It's a tactic that the enemy, enemy likes to use. Even himself calling him, you know, or the Bible calling him the angel of light. You know, being that deception that's there. So... That's that principality, and then it talks about the powers there in verse 12. And against, so it says, but against principalities, against powers. And that's a very important part. I mean, you look at it in your powers, okay. The thing is, is it's not weak. Satan is not weak. He's powerful. And he's much more powerful than us, isn't he? Apart from the Lord. 
I mean, us individually, there's no way we can withstand. But it's so awesome because in the very first part of opening it up, he gives us this hope and he says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And then we look over in, in chapter 1 and in verse 20 and it says, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him the head over all things in the church. And he already established that, so we know that in Christ, we're over him. In Christ, there's defeat already over the enemy. And so it brings hope, because if you just went through these verses, you're like, okay, I'm scared to leave this room now. (laughs) This guy's nuts, and he's out for me. But we have Jesus Christ. Satan knows that. He's been conquered at the cross. He still didn't have this power that he's ruling over the people of this world until Christ comes back. And it's just... One of those things that we look at these things and we need to be aware of it. So against the powers, he's a powerful creature. And the next one, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. So it's the rulers, it's those that are in control. You have to know that they're in control. And that's part of knowing that it's not a flesh and blood, that, blood but there's rulers. Okay, there's things that are being controlled. There's actually intellect there. There's smart, there's wisdom. So Satan is powerful, but he's also wise. And that's one of the things we need to understand about our enemy. He's not just some dumb guy in a black or in a, in a red pitchfork, whatever, suit, going around trying to stab people to take him to hell and where he thinks he's control. That's completely the world that wants to give you that, that vision of him. He's so sneaky. And if you just think of, the, of, I don't know if you guys know any of the wars or anything that's gone on, like the Vietnamese and the evil things that used to happen and, and the traps that they would set for the, for the GIs to come through. Some was just wicked and some of the tortures that they would do to our... I mean, it was just like this evilness that was just there, and it was just rooted in Satan. And just that nastiness, that wisdom that's there, and they're just so sneaky. And being able to trap, and being able to figure out the enemy, their enemy, and to conquer. So you have to understand that he's powerful, and there is wisdom. He has wisdom. The rulers of the darkness of this age, and that darkness is just, you guys can look at it the opposite. It's, it's not the light. You know, he's the ruler over, the, over evil. And then the next one of the spiritual hosts. So that, again, is referring back to the Satan's, uh, that host. You know, the, the spiritual host and understanding that, again, it's not this army of people that he's created. It's actually those fallen angels. And if you guys wanted to reference that or look at that, that's over in Revelations. Uh, I don't have it written down here. Let's see. It's where John talks about it about a third of the angels falling. And I'll come across it again. It's just later in my notes, I think. And if I don't come across it, you guys can ask later if you're taking notes on it. But I know it's over in Revelation somewhere. Um, it talks about the third of the angels. So we know that there's this army that's following Satan and that he's ruling and it's, it's uh, you know, he's kind of the, the chief, uh, that, that personal center, the commander-in-chief that's over it. So on with verse 12 again. The darkness of this age against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And just talking about that wickedness, that's just contrary to God's way. It's contrary to God's will. That's what Satan is all about. It's completely contrary. So if you're wondering, you come across a thing that's going on in your life, all you got to do is say, is this something Jesus would want me to do? Is this something that would be of God? Because if it's not, guess who it is? That's that wickedness. It's, it's everything that's contrary of God or His way, His will. And then that saying in the heavenly places, and 
This one is one of those ones that it's like, okay, well, the third of the angels, Satan got kicked out of heaven. Uh, what is it talking about? Heavenly places. There's times in the scriptures where it'll reference the heavenly places, and, and what it's doing is talking about like earth and heaven, like in this area, in, in heaven and earth together, that kind of zone, okay? It's not talking about the throne place of God, although we do know Satan doesn't rule there, but he has to go before God to add, get permission, right? I mean, we see that in Job. That's one of the places that we get to see that interaction happening. And then another verse is where it says that he's in front of the throne of God, accusing the brethren day and night. That's another one that we know that Satan's allowed access to it. There's no authority that he has there. Actually, the authority is completely on God's side. So don't be, be deceived when you have like the, the whole theology that it's a, it's a kind of a balance. There's this much good, there's this much evil, the yin-yang, you know, the whole situation. That's not how it is. God is completely overall. Satan is just, you know, has to come up and get that okay from him. So looking at those different things, we get to see and we get this insight of who the enemy is that, that is being fought but again, remember, guys, when you go through that, remember that Christ is already over that, that he's been seated at the right hand of God, and now he's over the enemy, right? What it says over there in chapter 1. And so all through the Bible, this isn't just this only spot, but all through the Bible, God gives us understanding into who the enemy is. And I'm going to go through some of If you guys are taking notes, I'm going to give you some scriptures to check out. Uh, we're not going to go through all of them, but I want to give you guys some of those titles that he's been given. One of the ones is devil. And the word devil, it means accuser. And that goes back to that verse in uh, Revelations 12, 7 through 9. He accuses God's people day and night before him, before God. And then the other title that's been given to him is Satan. And Satan is an adversary. That's what that word means. And adversary is just it's the opposite. It's the enemy of God and God's people. So that's when you look at that word Satan. Tempter. He's called the tempter over in Matthew 4, 3. And then in John 8, 44... He's called a murderer and a liar. 1 Peter 5.8, he's called a lion. And not the kind of lion of God, like the one that's seeking to devour, seeking to destroy, the young lion that's hungry, doesn't care what he gets into, just wants to devour and, and rip it to shreds. And then you have serpent. He's referred to as a serpent, not just in Genesis 3.1, that's one we're familiar with, but also in Revelations 12.9. He's called the angel of light, like I said, in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen through 15. He's called the God of this age, small g, God of this age, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. And then another one that he's, this one's a little bit iffy, because a lot of Bible students are, they don't really apply this to Satan. Um, when I go through the scriptures, I definitely see it, but he's called Lucifer. And I believe that Lucifer was his name when he was the angel, and it talks about that in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. And some people say, well, that was just a person. But when you really look at it and you look at Revelations and some of the stuff that was revealed to John, it really looks like, yeah, I personally believe that that is talking about Satan in that scripture. It also, just like in, in the Old Testament, many times it will be referring to something at that time, but it would also be a metaphor for something that's going on in the heavenly places or something that's going to be future. It had a double meaning to it. And that's what I find in Isaiah 14. So that's some of the titles he's given. Not much is given about Satan in his beginnings. There's a lot of speculation. It's really hard to try to figure out these beginnings and, and, and what's about Satan. We know that I couldn't find the scripture, but uh, I could research if you guys wanted. It talks about him basically being over the worship that was in heaven. Uh, that He was an archangel, which was one of the higher ones, higher ranking angels. But there's not very much that's given on his existence pre-fall or, or any of that 
what's gone on with him. So there's a couple scriptures that give you a little insight, but I really feel that God and his scriptures, what he really wants us to pay attention to is what Satan is doing and what is the end of Satan, where he's going. Because there's plenty of scriptures on that stuff, isn't there? And that's getting to know your enemy. That's understanding, okay, here's his tactics, here's his, here's his uh, way of doing things. And then the hope of Jesus Christ's return and knowing, you know what, Satan's going to hell. He's burning forever. God actually made us place specifically, it says in the scriptures, he made it for Satan and those fallen angels. And so we know that he's got an end. So Satan has that, oh, here it is. You guys, I knew I'd come to it. Satan has an army of help in, the, in this wickedness, and that was in Revelations 12, 4 is where that scripture is, talking about the third of the angels falling with Satan. And so Satan is a, is a powerful enemy like we've seen, but this is the interesting thing, and this is actually where it gets scary because we know he's able to destroy a man's body physically and destroy our body. He's able to kill our families. I know this is getting morbid, but this is some of those things that we have to understand, and I'll give you hope after, so don't, don't get too freaked out, but he's able to destroy a person's home or our homes. He's able to make a man poor. He's able to take away man's friends. And why I say all this is because we saw that in the life of Job. You look at everything that he did to Job, that was Satan. Now, he had to go before God and get that permission, but that was Satan and what he was, his power. So it's a true deal that can happen there. Now, our hope is in Jesus Christ, isn't it? And we know he is a conqueror. I'm going to say that over and over again so you guys understand that we have that. And we're just getting to know our enemy. We're not saying that we have defeat and this guy is just crazy that there's no hope for us. Because that's what's going to come in these next verses. That's why we, we have to understand that, yes, Satan is to be taken very seriously, very serious in his interaction in this world. And then Paul's going to give us this whole list of armor that we have to be able to stand against that crazy of an enemy. I mean, that's what I think is neat because you research all that and you get to see, wow, without God, I'm scared out of my mind. <laughs> that is a scary place to be without God when you know that that's who's going to control your life that just wants you to die, suffer, and be only for his purpose to succeed in destroying whatever God's plan is. I mean, to be a part of that system. Thank you, Jesus, that we're not a part of it. And not just that, but now he's given us the materials, those things that we need to stand against him. That's even cooler because it's such a mighty thing to be able to know that we actually, as humans, can stand against Satan. So moving on in verse 13. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And then here's where he gives it to you guys and us. In verse 14, stand, therefore. And it keeps saying stand. And once you understand, this is sure-footed. Like you're not going to be knocked down. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. And I'm just going to break this down. We're going to go through each one of these as, as you know, Hopefully, yeah, we've got plenty of time. So, this belt of truth or this girdle of truth. Now, the thing is, and how we look at each one of these things and what it counters against Satan in knowing who he is. And Satan is a liar. So here we have this truth, and it's holding our sword. That's what the girdle did. Yeah. Excuse me, it held on to the, the sword. And you have to have truth in your life to be able to hold on to the Word of God, right? That truth has to be there. That, that, that one-sidedness, that, that, that uh, uh, narrow-mindedness of just knowing that the Scripture, that is the truth. And I say that because so many people have accused us of being bigoted and being narrow-minded in our thoughts. And it's like, 
that's what truth is. Truth is so narrow-minded. It is, that's the definition of narrow-minded is truth. Two plus two is always going to be what? Four. That's pretty narrow-minded. That's saying there's only one answer to the problem. Okay, there's sin in the world. There's only one answer to that. God's grace. And that's, we get into those scriptures, you have to know that truth. That's why he says that that's what girds us. That's what holds all the armor together. Back in, and you guys know, in a lot of different uh, eras where they had different types of armor, usually there was that belt, and that's what held everything together. It held the bottom to the top, if they even had the bottom, thinking about Roman soldiers. Um, but the knights and everything, it was all tied into that center point. And if you know on a person, that's one of those places that if you can gain control of their center point, you guys know this from wrestling or grappling or, or, or jiu-jitsu, if you can take that middle point of that person, their trunk, you can manipulate their whole body. And that's one of those places that that's the best place to hook in armors because that's where the movement's going to happen. You guys know in sports that if you want to read somebody, like in basketball, that's where you're looking. You're watching the hip movement because that's going to tell and that's going to give away where the next move's going to happen. And so looking at that and seeing that that's why it's so important, that central point has to be based on truth. Everything that's tied into it has to be that truth. So the question is, where do you guys stand with truth? The, the world is definitely in there saying, hey, guys, you know what? We're, we're in error. We've come to a new wisdom. There is no absolute truth. You know, do you buy into that? Does everybody have their own truth? Is, is truth subjective? Is it what you believe it is for you? It's good for you. And we know that you can't do that. We know that even that argument in itself shoots itself in the foot. I mean, to say that there is no absolute truth would have to be an absolute truth to be able to say that. You know what I'm meaning? So it doesn't work. There always has to be an absolute truth. So we find that here, and then we're girded in that truth. And we know that Satan is the liar, and that's where he's going to attack. So a lie of the life, and that's one of the things that is, is a believer. If you guys allow yourselves to live a lie, your armor is not going to be held together tight. And it'll be loosened as it just keeps growing and growing and growing. We see that in the life of who? David, right? Look at David's life for that whole year. If you guys want to check it out, you can go into Psalms 32 and, and Psalms 51, and he talks about how horrible it was. That down to his bones he was hurting. You know, it was just miserable living this lie of this, this adultery with Bathsheba and pretending everything was okay. I know a lot of us in this room, we have lies that we're living, and we don't want anybody to know. We don't want it to be exposed. But the thing is, as Christians, guys, we have to live in the truth. We have to be girded with truth, not with that lie. So if there's a lie you're living right now, go before the Father. Go and grab some brothers or sisters and, and, and be over it. Get done with it. Move on from that lie. Stop living that lie. To defeat the enemy, right now he's got a space where he knows he can get you each time. Right? You guys know even from your past if you lived a lie, it's like, that's that one place he can just jab and bring me right down, where I'll shut my mouth and whatever I'm saying, I'll, I'll be fearful. I'll be afraid of going out there for Christ. I'll be afraid of doing anything right. I'll, I'll just shut down. And he's just got that spot right there. Just It's like the turnoff button, like, you're done. <laughs> you're done being a servant of God, and he's just got that spot. You guys, give that up. Give that weakness up to the enemy. That's one of those things that we need to go and, and gird ourselves with truth. Get rid of those lies. The next one would be, that breastplate of righteousness. So in verse 14, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And now Satan is the host of wickedness, right? Wickedness being the opposite of righteousness. And so we have to defeat or we have to go up against him. We have to stand against that wickedness. And so we're given this protection 
of the breastplate of righteousness. And usually what happens is that you have the breastplate, and then it would usually wrap around and go from your neck all the way down to your waist. And so it covered all your vitals. Even to this day, we have bulletproof vests, right? They cover all your vital parts. And usually, if you're in a battle or, or even a shootout nowadays, the, the, the place you want to aim for is the mass, you know, in that part where the breastplate would be. And that's how it was back in those fighting times, too. You'd want to throw a javelin. You'd want to throw a spear. You'd want to shoot an arrow. That's where you'd go for because it was a bigger target. And you knew you could at least nick one of the vitals and they wouldn't survive. Well, it's the same thing with the enemy. So what he does is he, he goes in there. He tries to get into us. He tries to take out those vital parts of our life. But the thing is, we're rooted in Jesus Christ, aren't we? We have that righteousness through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. That our righteousness is found in Jesus Christ. And then, not only that, but we live a righteous life in Christ. That's over in Ephesians 4.24, which we've already gone over before. I'll read it because we're right there. And it says, You put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So it's that life lived as well. And so when you look at the enemy and he's throwing these things at you, he's throwing these, these different things to try to get those vital organs, well, you retreat back to and you understand, you know what? I have that breastplate. I have protection in the righteousness that Christ Jesus has given me. So when he accuses, when he tries to bring that wickedness, we retreat back to, you know what? I have that righteousness and we stand. And then we advance in Christ, right? That's where that advance comes from. But without practice and righteousness in the daily life, it gives Satan a foothold to destroy, to take away from, to get one of those vital parts. So it actually is an action that we take place. It isn't just, a, you know, Satan get behind me one of those deals. In the name of Jesus, leave, which is those things that, we, yes, I'm not saying that you don't do that when you feel attacked by the enemy. But the thing is, is that it's a life lived in righteousness. It's that putting on Jesus Christ. It's what Ephesians have been teaching us. And so we have that breastplate. We have what he's given us. And that's one of those things that we walk in. Now, talking about walking, you like that segue? Verse 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And this is one of those things, it's like, well, how does the enemy attack my feet? You know, I'm talking about the feet all of a sudden. Well, that's talking about what the soldier, that's one of those things that we do as we walk we have to go from place to place, and what shoes do for us, and you guys know even buying much better shoes than what they had back then, but you have shoes that you can stand, right? It feels comfortable to stand, or it gives you traction in certain applications, or it helps you to climb better, you know, and, and you have all these applications that protect your toes, with the steel toes, you know, it helps you to be able to work in, in a harsh environment, you know, it helps you keep your feet warm. I mean, all these applications you have for your feet, they're important because that's what gets the rest of the body from here to there. That's what gets the message delivered, right? And you guys know right there, that verse in Romans 10, 15, and how shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And so those feet are very important and also uh, one of the things that the warriors used to do, and I know with the Romans, they actually used to drive little nails through. They had, they had basically cleats back then uh, for their sandals. And what that would do is give them traction. So when they're fighting, uh, that wrestling, that hand-to-hand combat, it was very important to have traction. And I don't know if you guys have seen old films too, where they get the big old uh, the shields that the Romans used to use, and they called it a turtle. They would get in that, it was like a tank, and they put the shields up above, and they could push against something. They could advance that way, and so they needed traction, and so they actually had cleats back then. 
So it's just looking at that shoe, it's, it's actually a lot bigger than you would think. It's not just delivering that message, but it's being able to stand. It's, it's the gospel peace. It's knowing that we're at peace with God. Being sure in that gospel, that great news that's been brought, back, brought to us, right? That deliverance that's like, well, I can leave that old life. That's such an awesome thing. I have peace with God now. And then we go on and we deliver that message. You know, just as the soldiers do, that's what they're doing, is they're, they're bringing a message, aren't they? You can say whatever message, don't mess with us, here's the politics that we believe in, here's what our country is going to do, here's the, the um, you know, deliverance that we're bringing to you guys, or, or however it goes, there's always a message that comes with soldiers. And even a lot of the crazy ones, the guerrilla warfare and all that stuff, you know, they always have a message that's behind them. And so looking at that and just saying, shod your feet in that, the gospel of peace. Get ready to walk that out. And then in verse 16, and above all, and here's where it gets important because it says, above all those things, guys, above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And that shield of faith is one of those that's actually now we have to pay attention. See, all the other armor that we have on, that's like protection for stuff you really don't see. And it's that up-close battle that's going on. So it's the unprepared stuff, but now you have the shield, and usually a shield is used because you see something coming in and you raise it, like it's got movement to it, right? And so understanding with that shield of faith and what God's given us and the faith that we have, it's not talking about the, 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 the salvation faith. It's talking about that faith lived out. It's talking about believing those promises that God's given us and walking out that faith that His promises and believing in that power that He's given us, that resurrection power that He talks about. That's what the faith is. And I know I've talked to you guys about that before, that yeah, when you're younger, you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross, that's an awesome thing, but then you start walking and growing in your faith, and you start understanding, he really did die for my sins, why am I living this way? If I'm really believing that Jesus Christ was on the cross for my sins, why do I keep taking them back? Where is that faith? Is my faith really in that, or do I just believe in a historical Jesus that was put on a cross, and he solved my problems? You know, and that growth that happens, that faith that we start understanding and we believe. And so when it's talking about that shield of faith, what happens is that, that knocks off or it quenches those fiery darts that he's sending at us. And we know in other scripture, the fiery darts are the things that come into our minds, those thoughts that are happening. You know, the things that are going to come in and, and bring in those thoughts, those temptations to us. So with the, with the shield, usually it was to defend against the, the things being thrown, the spears, the darts, the arrows that were coming at you, and you'd block those. And so understand that your guys' faith, and I don't know how many of you guys have had to go through times in your life where you start questioning God. Either you question His ways, you question His promises, or you even start questioning if He exists Himself. And it's really those things that Satan will just start throwing at you, and it really depends on who you're around or who you're getting into and what you're involving, who you're fellowshipping with, that all of a sudden you'll start just getting bombarded by these thoughts. Start bringing in doubt. And that's what the enemy wants to start doing because he can start weakening you and all of a sudden you start dropping that shield because your faith is lessening and you're totally exposed, aren't you? And see, he wants your faith to be laid down. And I think it's such a neat thing that he's given us is that shield. It's something that we actually have to keep up. You guys know those shields and you've seen those movies where they're huge. They're like four feet by two and a half feet wide or something. That was a heavy shield to hold. But it shows that there's effort in that, that there's this continuation, there's something that needs to be done about it. And so we continue to hold up that, we walk in that faith that he's given us to quench those darts that are being thrown at us by the enemy. So if you guys are having thoughts, you're having doubts about the Lord or, or any of the things that are going on, his promises he's given you, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? 
guys, look at where your shield is. Right away, is my shield up? Is, where's my faith at right now with the Lord? And I need to retreat back to his word to reestablish that faith. I need to see his promises again. I need to retreat back to that testimony he's given me before. All those things he brought me through. And I go, oh yeah. <laughs> I need to put that shield back up. Verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So it goes on to the helmet of salvation, that protecting the mind, because we know that Satan is an accuser, and that's another one of those where you know, he wants to make us feel undeserving. He wants to make us not valid before our Father. And Satan attacks our mind as he did with Eve in Genesis 3, and also talks about it in 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 3, and talking about that that's what, uh, the game that he was playing there. And being sure in your salvation, God's salvation controls us. And it guards our minds, doesn't it? I mean, that's what we rest in. We rest in that salvation. That's like, it's such a good place to be with God. It settles our mind. So you have that helmet of salvation, being assured that we're in that salvation. And when he is in control, when God's in control, we have that salvation in him. We understand that we have it in him. Satan cannot mislead us. He can't mess with our mind. We're established in that salvation. And then we get to the offense one of the coolest parts, because we actually get a fight back, which is crazy to me. Because usually, here's why I think that we get a little bit different on this. We're like, usually we're just a sitting duck, and good thing we have all this crazy armor. We're like Iron Man, you know, in that, in that cave. And good thing I have all this stuff until he starts blowing stuff up, then it's really cool. Because like, yes, offense is awesome. <laughs> like you get, a, you get this vengeance that gets poured out on the enemy. I think it's interesting that God gives us a tool of offense. Like something that we can actually attack the enemy in which is one of those things that I don't ever look at, and I'm like, you know, usually I just sit there and like, hopefully I don't get the blows too hard, and then I retreat back to what the promises of God are. But when he talks about that, and he gets into the Word of God, talking about that's our sword. And we know, and we, we've heard it in Hebrews, where it talks about, you know, that it's sharper than two, it's sharper than two, all right, let's go there. I'm going to mess it up. It's getting near the end. Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful and is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the tents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And just showing that it's living, it's, it's sharper than any sword out there. Basically, like we'd say, nowadays, bigger than any explosion, bigger than any nuclear bomb out there. Like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to expose. <laughs> it's going to expose what's going on there, and it's living. And I love that it puts it as living, because what that talks about then is God's in control of it. God's the one that's in control of that. And so when we look at this and we apply this, the enemy's coming, we attack with the sword. And I think there's a great application in what Jesus Christ showed us in Luke, didn't he? Jesus Christ showed us how to use the sword in Luke. And it's when Satan comes to him and he gives him the three questions. You know, he's talking about making the bread. And he gives, the thing about Satan is he loves to give the scriptures. I don't know if you guys have ever gone through this. Go over to Luke 4. Luke chapter 4. Starting in verse 1. Luke 4, 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. 
And I, I think it's interesting there's only three of them here because I think there was a lot more. 40 days is a long time. So who knows? We have three of them, though, that he gives us evidence of, of this is how to use your guys' swords right here. In verse 2, being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterward when they had, they had eaten, he was hungry. Or when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. So he challenges him. He challenges God the Father and saying that he is his son. Remember that the baptism? So he's challenging him here. And he says, but Jesus answered him saying, here's where the sword comes out and beats Satan upside the head. It says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Showing that obedience that you have to go back to the Father. And then in verse 5, Then the devil, taking him up to the, on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Now I see that. That's, I'm going to go back to that verse when Hillary's elected. I'm going to be like, yeah, right there. For everything's been delivered to me, I have whomever I wish. Okay, remember that. <laughs> and Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written. Again, here comes the sword. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, and here's where Satan uses a little bit of scripture, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And then Jesus again counters his blow with the sword and says, It has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So there's Jesus' standing. He's shown us how to stand. And so you know those scriptures, guys. It's so important that you know those scriptures. As you guys are growing in Him, as you're battling different things, as you're going through hard times, go in the Scriptures, look for those things, memorize those Scriptures, so that you'll be able to use that sword when the enemy comes, that you can be that offense. Back in Ephesians. So we went through the whole armor. Now what he's going to say is, here's what's going to happen. Here's our marching orders uh, for the soldier. And what it says is that in verse 18, praying always... With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And so, it, pray always, right? From marching order, pray, all, pray always, speak to the commander. That's talking about when it says, you know, because it kind of says it two times there, praying always with all prayer, so talking to the commander, and the supplication in the Spirit. And it says, it's asking for supplies. Soldiers always need supplies, it's, that's that supplication. Going, it's, it's fine, guys. Ask him for those things, but we have to understand that it's what? In the Spirit, right? So it's not the whole Ferrari, I'm going to ask for the wish list things. Santa Claus is going to give me what I want. It's asking in the Spirit. It's asking for those things as we are disciples of Jesus Christ. What do we do as these soldiers? What do we need to be asking for is for those supplies? And it's all in the Spirit. So that's the correct direction is making sure that it's in the Spirit. And then now Paul gets a little bit personal. As he, as he comes out of this, you know, he tells them, you guys, this is your margin. Pray always. And with prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful, being careful, ready to defend or ready to fight, being that watchful person. And then persevere. 
with all perseverance, like keep going, don't give up. You got to keep fighting till the end. There's a lot of great movies out there like that. You know, they talk about it. They just fought till the end. We just watched a crazy one last night. What is it? Uh, Eddie the Eagle. Yeah. <laughs> he kept fighting to be able to do the ski jump in the Olympics back in the 80s. But, you know, just that man loves that, to get to see that, that perseverance. And then with all supplication for the saints and making sure that we're praying for our brothers in arms. And that's one of those big things. You guys talking to any soldier nowadays, usually the soldiers nowadays that are fighting are not into the politics of the war of what's going on. Usually most of them are there and saying, I was there to fight for the guy next to me. That's where the importance lies. And that's what he was saying right here. Make sure you guys are praying for each other. Pray for your brother and your sister to the left and to the right of you, the ones that you're in the trenches with. And then Paul gets personal in verse 19, and he says, and for me that utterance may be given. He gives them, and he says, guys, be praying for me. And I love this because Paul doesn't ask them to pray very many times for very specific things in his life. And so right here, we can see a little bit of Paul's struggle and what he's going through. So he says, and for me that utterance may be given to me, that I, may be, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in, in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I find that very interesting because we always look at Paul as this character. If he's not scared, afraid of anything, he'll always speak what's supposed to be spoken. But right here we, we see him asking the church in Ephesus, guys, be praying that I will be bold in this. And you have to remember, he's chained to a soldier, which as he goes through this, you know he's just like looking at this guy writing down all this stuff about the, the armor that the guy's wearing, and you know he's witnessing to him. But he, at the same time, being in that situation, you know he's, he's wanting to be very careful when he says because he could pay even more you know, than he already is paying. He could be actually in a prison cell rather than being in house arrest. I mean, there's things that I'm sure were going on in his mind that it was like, well, what are the consequences of me saying this? What am I going to have to do because of this? Because right now it's pretty good. It's not as bad as it could be. And so he's asking them, you guys... Pray for me that I make sure that I'm still being bold and I'm saying the things that I need to say. And in verse 21, but that you also, and just as he closes it out, but that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. And Tychicus was from Asia, so he's probably around that area. They knew him really well. There's other places in Timothy where it talks about him sending him back, and also in Acts it talks about the guy, that he was from Asia there. Anyways, he's sending him, he wants to tell him, and he, Tychicus is going to go ahead and write more of the personal stuff that's going on. He's going to tell the people there of what's going on with Paul. A beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to you, the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. And this is one of those last times that they're going to hear from him. So, you know, what a great way to close it out. I mean, it's a sad, sad deal that they're not going to get to see him again. But in the same thing, it's like, wow, those are some pow- that was a powerful letter getting sent to them. And so, great part of Scripture. Lord, we just thank you so much for your Scripture and, and what you've taught us through the, this book, Lord. And I pray that you continue just as we go through it in other times, Lord. You can open our eyes to the different things you want to teach us. And... Um, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be able to put on this armor. And uh, Lord, we continue in it, that we wouldn't leave any pieces off. And Lord, we really understand our enemy. And um, Lord, I thank you so much that you protect us. And I know that people going through spiritual warfare, Lord, I I pray you just comfort them and let them know that you're right there. 
and uh, that you would just expose what's going on, Lord, that you could bring them comfort through the insight that you'll give them on the battle that they're dealing with, Lord, and, and how they need to be dealing with it and what they need to be retreating to or what they need to be standing fast in and, and how they need to be advancing in you, Lord. So we just thank you for your wisdom that you give us and the patience that you have with us, Lord. And uh, you're such a good God. Lord, we love you. And just pray for our pastor that he would continue just to have a safe trip over there and get to see some neat things, Lord. And just thank you for giving him that break. And uh, just protect your church as he's gone. And Lord, we love you. And we just want to praise your name every single day and put you in the place you belong in our lives, Lord. And so we just thank you for this study. In your name we pray. Amen.